Let's talk about the future of news. I want you all to know that we are fighting the fake news. The state of journalism today. Telling both sides of a, of a controversial story. I think you must be unbiased. It's uh, honesty, fairness, uh, truth. That is our job. That is our job. That is our job. Super. Uh, welcome once again to the Arrowman in Stockholm podcast. And it's that time of the year when everybody is looking for their beach body for 2021. Even if we have to keep our distance, it'll become all the more important to be looking good when we get. Actually, it's a fucking desperate time of the year because everybody joins a gym, nobody goes. And by the middle of February, we all consider ourselves failures. So, in order to get round that for once, uh, this conversation comes about because of an article in the Irish Independent that I saw about food and about dieting and about what you should eat to look better. And a friend of mine reacted to that. And the reason I wanted to speak to him about it is because he's very knowledgeable in this area because part of his job is actually mating weight uh, to fight people. Paul Redmond, uh, lightweight in Bellator. Uh, how are you? I'm good. I'm really good. But like everyone else, I'm a couple of kilos heavier than after the Christmas and, you know, lockdowns and stuff like that, you know. So I'm, I'm just like everyone else, you know. There and there, but tell us, Paul. Like, how do you train now? Because obviously, when you're training to to fight, and when you're training to be in in Bellator, you're a black belt in Brazilian Jiu Jitsu. You obviously train a lot. So, how is your training affected by this lockdown crack? <clears throat> yeah, it's uh, it's not the same level at all. You know, um, the the pros and the elites are allowed to train behind closed doors, so there's not that many of them. So. And training has gone right down. I know we're making even in, even the gyms in terms of lifting weights, like if, you know, flight or any of those type of stuff. They're all shut as well, so you can't lift your weights. So I'm making do with sort of home workouts, long runs, and um, we're just doing what we can get done. You know. Hmm. Now this is not really directed at the elite. In fact, it's directed at the opposite sort of old people like me who are trying to keep fit and that. Right. So. Um, we've talked about this before because I think the, one of the first times we met, you were making weight for a Bellator fight in Dublin, right? And I was surprised at how well you looked and how happy you were because an awful lot of fighters are completely fucking miserable when they're doing that kind of thing. But could you just tell me a little bit about the process of, of making weight and the process of losing a lot of weight in a short time? What do you do? What do you eat? How do you get down to 155 pounds when you're getting in the cage? All right, so... It took me a long time to get um, any knowledge, any knowledge, or get knowledgeable um, on how to do cutting weight. Cutting weight and losing weight are two very different things. Um, most athletes, um, we're using a fight scenario here because you know we have to cut weight. We do have to drop a large portion of weight for a fight. So, in regular sports, you know, like rugby and stuff, they're trying to put on weight, so calories isn't really an issue to those guys. For us fighters, it is the process. The whole process of cutting weight is—it's ridiculous. It's a—it's an outdated thing they used to do. In the, it started with uh, American wrestling. You know, wrestlers would cut an extra two or three pounds and um, for their match day, um, trying to get a, con a considerable size advantage that morning. So they would be dehydrating themselves, weigh in that morning, and grapple maybe an hour later. The problem with fighting is you can't do that to that extreme on the same day. Is if you take so much water out of your body, you're and leaving and going into a, a sport that basically punches in the head, you're leaving yourself susceptible to you know the likes of brain damage, that type of stuff. Even even not brain damage, concussions. 
and get knocked out quicker. Just severe head injuries that's, you know, the, 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 there's dehydration on the brain. So cutting weight to losing weight is two different things. Most athletes that are fighters would be in, would say, relatively good shape. It's fair. It's a fair assumption. Um, so the process is just a little bit different. You're trying to take your body and you're trying to force it where it doesn't want to go. Like I said, most fighters will be in good shape. Their tone, their ribs, their you know, six-pack, they're in good health. So it means they're quite healthy in their everyday life. I mean, most fighters, I know, they eat the right things, they don't drink, they don't party, they don't smoke, they live a healthy lifestyle. So what you're trying to do is you're trying to force your body down to a weight where it doesn't want to go for a split second Make weight, yeah, you're 155, and go fight the next day. So I used to, the reason why I sort of knowledgeable on this is I read. I read a lot, and I've did, done some stupid, stupid diets over the, over the course of uh, making weight and stuff. I've tried Atkins, tried low fat, high carb, low carb, um, macro counting, you know, the list goes bleeding on. I just off the top of my head, I just can't think. And the only thing sustainable for any of these things is to eat a little bit right and train a little bit more, lift a few weights and just be conscious of carbs and calories. That's it. But, sorry, I probably wandered off there, but to get back to that question, to cut weight for a fight, you just have to be consistently on it. Whereas, if you know you have a fight coming up for eight weeks and there's a training program structure in place, your weights, your running, your all your um, MMA grappling, that type of stuff. It's your nutrition is like, we'll say a class. You're prepping like class work all the way through every day each week, and you have to hit a goal every every day each week, or every say every Saturday you'll have to make a certain weight in your in your own sort of house or whatever. You will have to say I need to be. 76 kilos this week so it's not too much of a cut next week or you know that type of thing so you just have to be mindful of all your foods going into your body you gotta prep say if you know you have a training session at six o'clock eat maybe 50 grams of carbs before eat 50 grams after so there's 100 grams of it if you have two sessions that day do 50 grams either side both sessions there's 200 grams so you might have another 50 grams to play around with in the middle of the day but it's just about being conscious of what you're putting in your body all the time. Hmm. Um, that thing that we were looking at, or the, or the article that the two of us were sort of reacting to, was this um, idea of a kind of a diet whereby, you know, it's basically, there's so many different diets out there. You mentioned loads of them, Atkins, the low GI, low GL. Um, you mentioned eating nutritious food, right? Could I just ask you for a few of your sort of secrets? What do you eat and what do you stay away from? Because this thing of... The glycemic index, the glycemic load, there's a lot of talk about blood sugar and insulin and how that going up and down can affect weight. And, you know, the higher the, the spikes in your blood sugar, the more weight you keep on. How, how does that work in your experience? Yeah, it's, um, I've done some, like I said, I've read a lot. I've mm -hmm. talked to a lot of nutritionists. nutritionists and I have a nutritionist, even though I would be relatively competent in this area i'm not a nutritionist so anything you're hearing off me today is sort of that works for me and that i know it does work because any of the younger guys ask me about cutting weight in the gym and that it works for those too so it works relatively well but like you said um but just if you break down a couple of the diets let's say atkins for a minute 
that's uh, um, mostly on me, and it works out probably a high fat with the meats are taken in and really high protein, no carbs whatsoever. I think I tried that for one fight just because I had read about it at the time, and it, it's insane. I felt horrible after about four days. No energy, like you need you need your carbohydrates. Um, if you take one thing out, your whole diet is missing uh, an area that it needs. You need carbs. You need like the, like Andy always says to me, your food is your energy. If you're a race car, you're an athlete. It's the same thing for fuel and food. That's it. So all of these new all of these diets and that they do me head in because people buy it. That, that, that independent um, the article we read just it's very irresponsible to put out something like that and the basis of it was because a single mother didn't put on weight during lockdown mm. that was their whole basis of their article was just a single mother with no scientific background no nothing no this no no anything that she hadn't put on any weight in the bit of lockdown where most people have had the reason why most people would have put on weight in lockdown is because they were at home, not exercising, not even going to work where they would be getting some steps in or the rent, mm. you know, and they were just they'd be probably eating at home and in excess of what they would eat more than work. In work, you're, it's, you're very regimented in terms of you know, by eight o'clock, you might have a breakfast, you won't get a break till about 12. You have something then, you won't get another break for the rest of the day. You come home at four o'clock, five have something to eat, you might have three or four meals throughout the day. So to say intermittent fast is this new best thing that's the be all and end all. It's absurd. You know, it might work for some um and it might work down the road. But I've, and I've read about it. They say it has huge um impact on the likes, the likes of diabetes and stuff. The reason probably why it would have an impact on those type of things is because you're taking you're not taking in sugar for an extended period of time. If you just relax your sugar, anyways, mm. your, your diabetes is gonna have a positive effect because you're not taking sugar in on board. Yeah. So, like you were saying about um, the glycemic index and stuff, yeah. If I'm in training, I don't want to have a Snickers, and um, that it, it could be only 250 calories. I don't want to have a Snickers a half an hour before training because it's gonna spike my blood sugar through the roof, maybe mid-training session, I'm not going to, it's going to come back down, I'm going to have burned it off, and I'm going to probably feel shit in the um, in the latter half of the mid-training session, so it's not a sustainable field to eat if you want to train hard, or even in that everyday life, look, I eat Snickers as well, or you eat shit foods just like everyone else, but I know when there's a time and a place, if you're sitting in, if you're, look, if you're going to go out and do a marathon, there's no point in having a, a tub of Ben and Jerry's half an hour beforehand. Yeah. It's pointless. So what are you going to do? You're going to stock up the night before with rice, even pizzas, because there's a lot of carbs, a lot of car- calories, which are going to burn off the next day. But that's pre-planning. Like, uh, like I was saying before, you've got to pre-plan for whatever you're going to do. That's basically it. So these type of fads and stuff, they're, they're just not sustainable. And it's dangerous to promote that with people who are really, you know, the diet bouncers. They'll try everything. So... Even with the intermittent fasting, you know, I know in the independent it, it says a 10-8 rule. Uh, sorry, um, 16 and 8. Yeah. It's uh, basically no eating for 16 hours and eat what you want for 8 hours. You won't put on weight. <clears throat> then the more people read into that, 
there's the, the intermittent fasting stretches and stretches and stretches. Then some people are down to two hours, eat whatever you want, and then taking 22 hours off. Yeah. Why, do, why do you want to do that to yourself? Like, <laughs> you're just going to be home for hours. Like, can you not? Like, we're all adults. We, we all make choices. People, when people put on excess weight and they don't like the look of themselves, I'm just going to use this because it's basically what everybody, they don't like to be in a, in a, in a um, way that they don't like themselves when they get to a point where they don't like the look of. Yeah. So when they get to that point of they put on too much weight or too much whatever, then they'll say that's when they start diet hopping and stuff. But if they just make a conscious choice to say, the same way they did to, to, to put on weight, they made a conscious choice to say, eat Ben and Jerry's, eat a pizza, eat this, eat a roll, eat whatever. If they made a conscious choice to say, eat a boiled chicken fillet and broccoli, eat a steak and some greens, you know, mm. it'll have the, the positive, positive effect as well. So it's just about choices. And people need to get a little bit more educated on, um, on their fields. Mm. That's, I, I, I don't think there's enough education there. I think... Uh, food management and uh, just nutrition, and, and it should be part. It should be part of your curriculum at school. Yeah, that was one of the things I was going to ask you because we grew up as Irish lads. Now, obviously, I'm a bit older than you, but myself and Andy Ryan might be the same age or coach, right? We grew up, and when girls went to school, they went to separate schools, and they learned home economics, and they learned how to cook and everything else like that. And we learned, like, you know, woodwork and sort of, you know, in inverted commas, manly things. So with the yeah. idea that, you know, like I say, you had to go back and teach yourself all this when you went into the business of being a professional fighter. Um, do you think that, you know, how, how is the best way to approach this? Because I was thinking as well that, you know, you, you obviously coach in the gym, you're there in the gym, you're seeing new people come through the door all the time. Do people ask you about these things because they know of your background as an elite athlete? All the time. I get it everywhere. Absolutely everywhere, you know. <laughs> I get it more times than I care to, like, uh, I was, I'll give you, just say, for instance, I was going out with um, a girl at the time and she invited me down to a wedding. She, you know, she got a plus one and we were seeing each other. So the problem was I was trying to make 66 kilos for the UFC. Um, and like that, 66 is a massive, massive cut for me. So I said to her, look, I'll go. I can't, I can't have the dinner. I, I, I can't eat it. I, so I brought down like a tin of tuna and some broccoli. I had it in the room myself because like, I knew I had to make weight. I went down and did a, an hour on the treadmill before I went into the wedding. So that was all my stuff done. Because look, I was an athlete. I was mid-camp. I couldn't drink. I couldn't, eat, couldn't do anything. I had to do what I do. No big deal. That's, you know, irrelevant. And she says, yeah, grand. You know, we're just having to be there now, whatever. So as soon as the dinner happened, all the speeches finished or whatever, I sort of came in after all that was done chatting to um, here at the time and then because I was in the UFC obviously a few people sort of knew who I was what I was doing and stuff the next of all I'd say about an hour goes by the bride the groom and about 12 others were sort of gathered around me asking me diet tips what I'm, I'm, you know what to eat what training to do and I was I had to turn around and stop the bride I'm like this is your wedding you have to go and get locked in that don't be telling me what diet you're on. I don't care. Go and enjoy yourself. The bride stopped her own wedding. She was like looking for tips on how to get skinny during her wedding. 
they come up. But it is one of those things like, you know, I don't know, it, it was, we didn't think of it growing up, right? In the 70s and 80s, when you're playing sport or whatever, you didn't actually think about weight or nutrition, right? And I remember having knee injuries and there, was not, there wasn't even weights or rehab or that kind of thing. It was like, you know, okay, are you in pain? No, then go play, you know? Now, it was obviously always different for, for martial arts and for boxing and those kinds of things were different because you had to manage your weight. But it is something now, especially in the Instagram generation where, like, I'm going to the UFC now down in Abu Dhabi next week and you're thinking, you know, if I'm going to be sitting beside a pool with my old man, post Christmas weight on you know and it's all part of that but when you see people coming through the door because obviously in a normal time when it's not lockdown you have loads of people coming through the door of your gym in January going I want to get fit I want to lose weight right why do you think most of them fail Paul they're they're uneducated on what on what to eat there's two all right so I'm a personal trainer and fitness instructor as well as on top of all my my own MMA stuff and cutting weight and stuff Mm -hmm. so People are uneducated, and it's by no fault of their own. They're force-fed a narrative from the likes of TV or radios, saying special K is going to get you thin. You know, eat special K in the morning. And it was, as long as I can remember, in the mid-90s, if you ate special K, you were seen to be wanting to lose weight Mm -hmm. because it was a cereal. Now, if you flip the back of Special K box, I'm not attacking Special K, I'm just saying this is from my own head. Yeah. If you flip the back of a, a Special K box and maybe the back of a Frosty's box, you know, to- uh, Tony the Tiger, the Frosty's? Yeah, yeah. They're the same. They're the same. You'll probably get the same amount of sugar, the same amount of carbs, the same amount of fiber, same amount of everything. They're nearly identical, you know. Um, but one, te- one is, te- is in the, the red dress and she's jumping off a diving board and she looks all slim and sleek. Next to all, you've got Tony the Tiger made for kids, yet it's nearly a virtually identical same product. So it's people are uneducated. It's, and the only reason I bring that up is because a girl came into me before she said, I had a special K red berries this morning. But if you even take a regular special K to the special K red berries, it's even worse than red berries because all those little... Berries are, are freeze-dried and made sweeter with sugar to make it taste. Yeah. So people don't understand. They're being, but people would believe anything you tell them. If I tell somebody to go and eat whatever and I'm training them, they'd believe it because they're paying you as an expert of voice. Yeah. So these multi-million dollar companies are paying for advertisements to make their health brand look good and be, and that's what's the problem. And I'll give you another instance. There's a protein bar. Right, I'm going to just break this down. I know it's only on this one, so it's PhD protein bar. I'm going to have that with a cup of coffee later on. Yeah. Taste noise. It's, a, no, it's in no way healthy. It's in no way going to make me slim. That's probably the equivalent of a Snickers bar. But it's protein, and the average person will look at that and say they're doing well for themselves. And that's the bit um, that's catching everybody out with the minute as well. Little snack. I know that. I'm, but I know that's like... It's not the best thing for me, but look, it's going to be nice with a cup of coffee, and I'll know I'll burn it off in MMA or I'll run later on, whatever. Yep. So I think people are uneducated on what's the right food to eat. Um, I, I, do, I just get it all the time when people come in and they were looking for a six-week plan or a, a fuel plan or this, that, and the other. They're, people's, people's idea of healthy food is just wrong. Because they were they were fed that stuff even in the eighties. What would you have taken the biggest diet from in the eighties? Late eighties, mid uh, early nineties. The biggest diets, fad, Jesus. 
that they pushed. It was low fat. It was, oh, low, it was a low fat. fat yeah, yeah, yeah. Low fat, low fat yogurt, low fat this, low fat milk, low fat. Boy, the boy is low fat there. Yeah. It's not. Each thing cont- contains a number. All right. So I did um, my ordinary degree on telling people. There's a there's a couple of f- formulas out there online. You can get them online. There's you know calorie counters and all that type of stuff. Um, and I'm not forgetting the one I did my degree on. Uh, I forget the name, but, but basically it's a, it's a math equation. It takes your, your age, your height, and your current weight, and it gives you a calculation. You put this into a formula, and it gives you a calculation for your BMR. Your BMR is your basal metabolic rate. What that means is if you're lying in a hospital bed and you cannot move for any reason whatsoever, it's the amount of calories you will need to sustain your body mass at that specific t- moment in time without doing a single thing, not even moving a finger. Mm. That's all that means. So we'll, t- we'll take your one, Phil. Say you're 15, you're, you know, a, a male, so it'll be probably about 1,700 calories there or thereabouts, all right? That's a fair, fair estimate. Now, you take in your everyday things, of getting up, going to the toilet, making your breakfast, walking about, breathing, um, maintaining your uh, heat level, uh, your body temperature, that type of stuff. That's just another, we'll say, three or 400 calories of just doing regular stuff. Mm. Then you add in a workout, maybe four or 500 calories or whatever. Throw in another 500. So that's where you bring your 17 up to about 2,300 calories. And that's how you sort of base your, your calories around. Now, what what do you do when you get two te- when a, when a trainer says to you, "If two thousand three hundred calories, go eat that, and uh, come back to me next week." You come back to him and will say, um, "You've gone up a couple of kilos." Word. Um, well, this is what I mean. So you could be eating a bowl of special K for the morning, a uh, big pasta lunch, and you know rice and veg uh, in the evening. No protein, mostly carbs. Your body's probably retaining about three or four kilos of water because every gram of carbs holds up to three, four grams of water. So it could be four kilos heavier just based on carbohydrates, mm. not so much weight or fat. So there's a lot to think about there. So that's where your, your, your macros come in, your proteins, fats, and carbs. That, got, that has to be broken down per individual. We'll give you just a good rule of thumb. So say you've got 2,300 calories and you weigh 80 kilos. So double your body weight in, in um, from kilos. So 80 to 160. That's, a, that's what you need to eat every day in protein. So 160 grams of protein. Okay. For your energy source, say you're quite active, you're training at least once a week, or once a night, um, and you've got a busy enough job. Three times your body weight in kilograms, into grams, and that's your carbohydrates. So we go 80, 60, and 24, 240 grams of carbs. You've got 160 grams to play around with. And then the rest of your calories there is put into your fat. That is a basic and really super basic plan. You can log into my fitness pal and you will more than likely lose weight if you're in about a two, 300 calorie deficit period. And that's how easy it is. People don't know that. Mm. It's, it's, it's that simple. You could probably teach a class in about four or five hours. And you could probably go into schools once a week, or sorry, once a term, or maybe twice a term, and teach one class or two classes or whatever. Mm. And feed that information 
to, I wouldn't say kids, I'd say, you know, the likes of transition year, 40 or 50 year students yeah. that are a little bit older, a little bit starting to get that little bit more self-conscious, break it down that simple for them. And that's it. That's all it takes. A little bit of information. And that's what, that's where people is falling down. It's the information that they don't know that. Mm. Would, all right. So here's one for you. Would you have known how to break down your calories just in that simple sort of way of terms? You know, it's something I've never actually done. I've never been one for weighing food and that kind of thing, you know? So that's, it's just straight away there, you know? And it's one of those things that I've been thinking of because I've been around sport for my entire life, but I've never actually gone into the specifics of it the way you have there. So it's fantastic, you know? That is, but, but that's, how, that, that's how athletes stay super trim and that's how the regular folk fall down because they don't know and the athletes do because, you know, they, they get that information or they might have a nutritionist as part of a whole rugby plan. They might say, say you're part of the Leinster. I was teaching a Leinster, uh, one of the junior Leinsters um, in the rugby. Big guy, he was only 16, 100, 118 kilos. Wow. Nothing but muscle, six pack shredded, six foot two. Monster of a kid. His dad brought me up to do some uh, wrestling privates just to get um, some good takedowns. And I was like, if this kid gets could one or two double legs or single legs and a he's gonna go through kids. So I was asking him, how how have you got so big and not without putting on, you know, a belly? He said, everything is weighed, protein, fats, carbs they get. And they'll have a big, you know, say a steak, a load of veg, a load of rice, whatever before a process. When they're when they're um, eating that, they will have a like a strawberry peanut butter protein shake with that to bounce the whole meal up by about a thousand calories. Right. So they're probably eating two thousand calories of one meal thanks to the shake. And that's specific for their sport. They don't know what's in it, but there's a nutritionist weighing all this stuff out for them. Mm. You, do, do you get what I'm saying? So yep. the everyday person just doesn't know and the athletes do. And that's where people fall down because they haven't got the information because I've did home home economics third year through sixth year or fifth year through that time I was school. Um, I did home economics third year through fifth year, and all I learned in in it was sort of how to bake a Victoria sponge cake. It's not solid information. It's yeah. it's mundane stuff. It's it's outdated. You know, this is I think this is what needs to be brought into schools. Paul, that's absolutely brilliant. You've given us a fantastic introduction to it there, and it is something that we return to because um. I have to run off now, but it is, as I say, a fascinating subject, and we will get back to it at some point in the near future. Thanks very much for taking the time. Uh, look after yourself. You're looking very well. I'm looking at you on Skype here now, and you don't look a gram over. You look like you can fight at 155 in the morning, so hopefully we'll get to see you fight soon as well. Listen, thanks for... Yeah. No, no hassle. Um, look, I hope that I cleared some sort of things for you um, and uh, your viewers, our listeners, but um, yeah, it'd be good to talk Brilliant. to you again, Phil. Thanks very much. Look after yourself. Yeah.